Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. We're going to go into today and uh, look at another part out of chapter 3 in just a moment. So uh, several years ago, I've shared the opportunity that I had with my sister and brother-in-law. This was uh, the spring before I got married to Beth. Uh, We had the opportunity to go to London, and uh, that was cool. It was really my... Excuse me, my first time out of the country. I don't consider Canada out of the country. Sorry if that's offensive to you. If you're Canadian and have relatives, that's America's top hat, okay? Um, anyway, uh, I probably just offended someone here, but I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, so we, uh, we went over to London. We had a great time. Got to see where my favorite soccer team plays, Chelsea. Went to their stadium. I got to go to, uh, you know, where the Queen was and, you know, all the way up in uh, one of her other, ca- what is it, Winchester Castle, which is right near St. Albans Road. Coincidence? I think not. So I had a great time, and uh, we got down to the last day that we're there. And uh, I I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes there's, some people feel very strongly that you have to buy something from a place in order to prove that you were there. Are you that? Anyone that way? Okay, yeah, yeah, a couple of you. All right, well, I'm not necessarily that way, but I'd been in England for five days. I hadn't bought anything to show that I had actually been there. So we're in Piccadilly Circus, which is basically their Times Square, and there's a store there. It's got all the cliche, you know, I love England stuff. So I go in and uh, find a jacket that I really liked, had England across the front of it and everything, and it was wonderful. So I get it. I take it to the register. Uh, I'm still a little bit jet-lagged, and uh, she tells me how much I owe for the jacket. I dig into my pocket. I pull the money out, and I put it on the counter, and she looks at me and says, that's not going to work. Excuse me? What do you mean it's not going to work? Oh, a little bit of a problem. Um, I still had American currency in my pocket. Uh, And I did have my my British pounds in my pocket, but for whatever reason, I just by habit pulled out American cash and tried to pay for this where the British pound is what is taken. And of course, uh, ha, 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 oh, I'm so sorry, and pulled out and paid her and all that stuff. I mean, in that moment, isn't it amazing that I could have put one million U.S. dollars on that counter. And she could look at me and say, I'm sorry, your money is no good here. One million dollars. Yeah, now, yes, I get it. You could say, well, she could have gone and exchanged it. Yes, she could have. Follow me here, okay? My money was worth nothing, even though in America it could be worth something significant. In that time and in that moment in England, it was worth nothing. And I don't know if you've had... Maybe similar situations with that, but not necessarily with money, but with life. You invest yourself into something. You dedicate your studies. You dedicate your job. You dedicate hours. You dedicate ministry at a church. You dedicate all of it thinking it's going to earn you something. And then you get to that point, you think it's going to earn you whatever it is, recognition. Maybe we, you know, name something after you or put a statue outside Thank you. This is lukewarm, so it wasn't going to work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, I won't hurt myself. So uh, with that, uh, but you get there, and you get to that point, and you think it's going to pay off in nothing. And you look back, and you're like, what did I just devote all that time, energy, effort, money, sacrifice to? It earned me nothing that I thought it was going to. 
I don't know if you've ever been at that point. I've had those moments in my life. When I was serving on a missions trip with my youth group from Baltimore in uh, New York City one year, um, we were up in uh, the uh, urban nations where the mission that we were serving with. We were up there. We were teaching English. And one of the students came in. He was originally from Nepal. Uh, he came in, and this guy was awesome. I mean, he was funny. He had a great wit about him. He was smart as anything. And he was there to learn English as one of the students. All the kids loved this guy. And the longer that we got to spend time with him, we eventually found out his story. He was from Nepal. He was a medical doctor. He had all the accreditations. He had uh, served as a medical doctor for years in Nepal. And then he decided to immigrate to the United States. And he came, and something interesting happened. All of his degrees, all of what he earned, guess what? It wasn't accepted in the United States. This accomplished medical doctor could not serve as a medical doctor in the U.S. And here he was waiting tables at a Thai restaurant in town. Think about that. How defeating does that have to be that all of that that you invested was worth nothing? Today we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 2 through 10. And I say all of these stories to set up a little bit of something that Paul is trying to point out about all the things that we often as church Christian people sometimes fall for, that we can do things that are somehow going to earn God's special privileges or a gold star from him, and he's going he's gonna to put us up on Christian of the month wall. And even the most mature of us believers fall for it. We just sort of gradually fall into this mindset that everything will go okay just because of everything I've done for you, God. So let's start at verse 2. You can follow along on the screen. Uh, if you are techie, there is a version QR code there that will take you to it. Uh, or you can just uh, open your Bible and you can read along. That's always a good thing too. Verse 2 starts out this way. It says this. <clears throat> Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. All right, we're pausing before we go any further. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. What on earth is going on here? And number one, I love that Paul doesn't mince words. There's several times that Paul just like, the filter is removed and here's exactly what I'm thinking. And this is one of those moments where he refers to a group of people as dogs. Dogs back then were not something that I could breed and sell or go buy and, you know, you invest thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into as a companion. Back then, dogs were scavengers. They were unimportant. They were an annoyance more than anything. And he, he calls a group of people, this God-fearing man, dogs, mutilators of flesh, evildoers. Who on earth is he talking about? Well, we get a hint of it because he says, for we are the circumcision. Now, we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of circumcision this morning because there's young ears here, but all of us adults generally obviously should know what that is. And we know that back in uh, Jewish culture, even in the Old Testament, uh, that circumcision was a way of making sure that you knew that you were Jewish. It was a physical way of identifying yourself as Jewish. It was commanded. 
that all Jewish males were to be circumcised. And there was still, even in this time with Philippians, a group of Jewish, uh, we wonder if they were believers or not. Many of them may not have been because they were putting confidence in things that we could do. There was a group known as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were going to Philippi, which is a Gentile, largely Gentile church, and saying, oh, you're a Gentile and you're a Christian? Okay, dudes, you got to be circumcised. As a part of being saved, you have to be circumcised. They're like, what? Hold on a second. And as you know, if you read your Bible in the book of Acts, this was a high controversy of the day. We have many controversies in the modern church. This was the controversy back then. It split groups up. And Paul minced no words when it came to this group that was trying to add something physical, something provable to the gospel. Apart from Jesus. It was like, you need Jesus and circumcision. And anytime you add something onto Jesus, it is no longer the gospel. It's no longer the gospel. And so he calls these people dogs, evildoers, uh, evil mutilators of the flesh. He does not mince his words that they have no part of us. And he says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Technically, we are circumcised. We are set apart by the Spirit of God. And we glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in our flesh and the things that we think we are able to do or might earn us some extra credit. Verse 4 goes on and says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, I have reasons to be confident in everything I've accomplished, okay? If we're going to swap resumes, spiritual resumes, and we list everything that we've done for God, everything we've experienced, if we're going to start that with the Judaizers, you know, that you've done everything, Let's talk, because I will outdo every single one of them. If we want to be petty and have a competition, and in verse 5 and 6, we're not going to read them at this time, but 5 and 6, he goes on and he spells out his resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He lists all these things to say, here's how spiritual, if we're going to base it on earthly, fleshly things, here's how spiritual I am, if we want to play that game. Basically, he says, I was as pure a Jewish person as you could get. I was a patriot. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a religious leader. I did everything right. I was moving up the religious corporate chain. Everything was going great with me. Everything was great. This is the guy that you want, according to his resume, to marry your daughter. Paul's saying if we looked at it on paper, I would have been the one you would have been throwing your daughters at me because you would want this as your son-in-law. We do this, by the way. We look at paper and assume that immediately makes a person qualified or not qualified. And I'm going to give you an example <clears throat> since most of us are familiar with doctors. We're going to go with Dr. A here. If you have to choose a doctor to use, we're going to swap, or show you two resumes in a moment. This is Dr. A. I could put Dr. Alban, I guess. <clears throat> Thank you. I just thought of that. Okay. Has his MD from Yale, a very highly qualified. I think it's number eight as far as hospitals uh, or uh, medical schools. Uh, worked at Johns Hopkins, great place, 20 years. Wrote 25 articles for medical journals. That's kind of that one thing. It's like with professors, they want to write for academic journals. You want to work at, you know, somewhere like Mayo Clinic or Hopkins or Harvard or all this because these are like the hospitals in the United States. This is Dr. A. So let's look at Dr. B. MD from Oakland University, Belmont. Does anyone know where that is? 
It does exist. So, uh, anyway, it, uh, yes. Okay, worked at Norman Regional Hospital for two years. That's a real hospital. Two years he's worked there. And wrote zero articles for Medical Journal. Your life has to be put in one of these people's hands. Dr. A or Dr. B. This could be a female here, too. Which one are most of us probably going to want to go with if we have the choice? A. Because of all the qualifications. Here's the problem. What if Dr. A has horrible patient reviews? Basically, everything he has done has blown up in his face, and his patients eventually move on to another doctor because he's that terrible. On paper, he looks great. What if Dr. B has a waiting list for people because they've only heard how great he treats his patients, the wonderful solutions that he comes up with. But on paper, we'll look at it and say, well, Dr. A, of course. This is what Paul's pointing out. We want to play this game of who's more spiritual and we're going to base it on earthly things. Well, then I am Dr. A. But that's not what it's all about. That's not what it's all about. Verse 7, he goes and he says, but whatever gain I had, Whatever resume I had, whatever thing I want to brag about I had, I count as lost for the sake of who? Christ. That's all that matters. We said this back when we started this. All Paul cared about was that he was identified with Jesus. He didn't care about anything else. He just wanted that when people see him, they see Jesus. And they feel like they have encountered Jesus because he's imitating Christ. I count everything I earned a loss. All the bragging rights, a loss. For the sake of Christ. Now, Paul has done this before, by the way. His uh, bragging, the listing of the resume. 2 Corinthians 11, I don't know uh, how many of you remember that, but he goes on and he starts boasting because people were boasting about, well, I suffered for the Lord. I was in prison once. And Paul's like, oh, we're going to play that game? Here we go. Here's my list. Paul doesn't do this, that people are like, oh, wow, you're super Christian, Paul. Paul does it to prove it doesn't really matter. What does matter is Christ. That's what matters. What matters is that we put all of our trust in his strength because we can do nothing on our own. Christ was all that mattered. All of it is a loss. In fact, eight, he builds up a little bit more. He he doubles down. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what matters. I know Jesus Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The word rubbish there is another word for manure. We know manure in springtime in Lancaster County, okay? Just open your windows. You're reminded of it on a daily occasion, especially if you're near farms. I count all of that stuff. Hebrew of the Hebrews. I have degrees. I was a spiritual leader. It's nothing. It's manure. It's garbage. That's what it's worth. You know, it's interesting. During the week, I occasionally will get bored and have to stretch myself uh, out of the office. And I'll go around the church and sometimes because I'm... I like to clean things from time to time, which is very strange of me. Uh, I decide to go into a room and I'll see some things that maybe are really dated. We don't need them anymore. I check to make sure we don't need them anymore, and then I'll throw them out. And it's amazing. Did you know how many trophies we have in this church? Well, if you don't know, I have a box of some of them. Some of them. Um, 
So let's see. We got some medals here. Anyone on any of the teams that earned any of these? No, okay, they've all moved on, so there's nothing sentimental here. I'm going to clear these out afterwards, so uh, I'm just making sure no one's tied to any of these. Uh, that's a joke. Anyway, um, this one, let's see, we've got Word of Life, Arctic Frontier 2004, overall champs. Rah, rah, rah. Way to go, Grace Fellowship. We have trophy after trophy after trophy here, uh, Word of Life, Arctic Challenge, guys, champs. Uh, so... Uh, this is great, and at the time, they were wonderful, but if any of you were on any of these teams, I, I promise, take the trophy and go into your boss tomorrow and say, yes, sir, I'd like a raise. <laughs> and they're going to look at it and laugh, just like you did, and that's Paul's point. All the trophies I earned, all the bragging rights I have aren't worth anything. They are a big old nothing burger. They're worth nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. They're garbage. And all I care about is gaining Christ. And then he goes on in verse 9 and says, not just gaining Christ, but being found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I don't want to be found as a person who has somehow earned being righteous before God on my own efforts. I want to be somebody who has only done it through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to be found in him. That word there, found in him, sort of gives this picture of like he's clothed in Jesus. That when people see him, that's what they see is Jesus that when he goes through difficult times, that's what he sees. That when he rejoices and has accomplishment in his life, that's what everyone sees is a Jesus imitator. They get an idea of how Jesus would have handled success and failure and hardship. I want to be lost in him. I want to be found in him. I want to be hidden in him. We have so much a tendency in Christianity all throughout history to, for some reason, have to add something to the gospel, even as much as one example I was thinking of this past week, back in the 1500s, one of my favorite church history figures, uh, some of you may recall, is Martin Luther. He started the Protestant Reformation. He was a Paul through and through. He just told you exactly what he thought about you if he disagreed with you. He didn't mince words. What One of the things that triggered Martin Luther with this thing of uh, the Reformation, was that there was another man at that time, Johann Tetzel, or John Tetzel. Johann Tetzel had been hired by the Pope at that time to go out and to sell something called an indulgence. And at the time, an indulgence, Johann Tetzel would walk into a town with really poor people, and he would say, if you put a coin in this box that's going to go fund the building of St. Peter's, your dead relative that you love, yourself, you are going to be freed years from purgatory. All you have to do is put a coin in the box. And people who are poor and barely had anything to even eat are dropping money in it because they thought they could earn something. A coin would remove some punishment that they believed purgatory, which we don't here. They, they believed in purgatory. It would remove years from that. Because we think we can merit something. But it all depends on faith. 
belief in Jesus, trust in him. Next, verse 10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. He says, I want to be hidden in him and I want to experience what he has experienced. I want to know the power of the resurrection that Jesus has. I want to share in Jesus' sufferings. How many of you are like, well, that sounds good to me. I want to suffer like Jesus did. And yet Paul says, I want to be so tied to him. I know exactly what he went through. His sufferings, his death, but also his resurrection. There was this partnership, this intimacy that he wanted with Jesus. He just wanted to know Jesus so much. Know him. I I wonder if we're that desperate. We don't care about anything else but knowing Jesus, knowing everything about him. And we aren't ever content where we're at. Sometimes we are given a family heirloom or maybe we're given uh, something that is uh, of value to our family ancestors. You know, uh, we come upon a building that maybe one of our ancestors owned, a house or something. And I don't know if you're like me, I get a little sentimental with stuff like that because it's like, wow, I want to go in that house and see where my ancestors lived because that has value to my family. One place of value to me uh, is in Essington, PA, if you don't know where that is. It's just this little oversight over the Delaware. Uh, And uh, those two things sticking up are stone pillars. This was important to me for most of my life for one reason. This is where my dad proposed to my mom. And so this has always been a special spot. Years and years and years always going there. Well, this is also where I decided to propose to Beth. And part of that was that tie with my family. The memory and that knowledge and that experience, just like my parents experienced, I wanted to be a part of that with Beth and and myself. We have a long story with that engagement, by the way. It's very funny. I'll save it for another time. But the the important part of this is this. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. And this is what Paul's saying. I just want to... I just want to experience what he experienced. I'm going to be where he was. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus so much. And I want to experience him so much. I want to walk in his shoes. This brings us to our point this morning. Each of us needs to strive for something that you could not do. I know this is not good English here, but I'm making a point here. Strive for something you could not do. We cannot earn God's favor. I don't care what we call it in modern Christianity. I don't care what we come up with that X, Y, and Z, you have the checklist that we come up with for Christians. Well, if you're a good Christian, here's the checklist. If you don't make the checks, you're not a good Christian. As though somehow those earn favor with God. Now, I'm not saying they aren't important. I'm going to encourage you to serve. I'm going to encourage you to be here, to be a part of a a church family, not to just show up. I'm going to encourage you to take leadership and to share your faith with your neighbors. I am going to encourage us as a church, as the rest of the elders are, to do these things. But if you think that it's because it's earning favor with God, you're wrong. You are so wrong. We need to strive for that which really matters, and that is knowing Jesus, loving him, and obeying him as much as we possibly can every day as I get out of bed 
and know that any ability to get into heaven is nothing of my own work. It's of his work that was already done. You see, there's a difference between plagiarism or cheating and group projects. When I plagiarize something, I write a paper and I copy verbatim the work of somebody else and I claim it as my own. And it's unjust. But when I do a group project, and this happened to me often in high school, you have five other people in a group, I tended to do a lot of the work for that group, but I know it's a group effort. So I'm not offended that the four others who didn't, you know, half pay attention, I'm not offended that I am giving them a good grade, and they've lifted very little to even try and help. Jesus did all the work that had to be done, and we can't add anything to it, and we get to celebrate, sing, praise Jesus for what he did for us. We get his credit. We get his merit. And thank God for it. So, two little takeaways for you this morning as we uh, wrap up our time. First off, zeal for the wrong thing is a waste. Zeal for the wrong thing is a waste. You know, back when I was uh, in youth ministry, probably about five years in, one of the things that uh, everybody was like talking about all the time was they had a game they started to play called Farmville. I'm not going to ask in here who played it because you can confess that to me later, okay? Farmville was like the thing. I mean, you got on, you built digital farms and had digital animals and you had to do digital farming. I mean... And everyone was like talking about this. My friends were talking about this. The youth were talking about this. Oh, well, I got this on my farm. Oh, great, you know. Uh, And they were so zealous. And then it turned into words with friends. And then it turned into Candy Crush. And they were all so zealous about what they had done and what they had earned. And I had a higher score than you. Or I did this and you weren't able to do this. And they would go on and on and on. And now what do they have to show for it? Put that on your resume. I farmed on Farmville. Ooh, great. Uh, So you're going to do data entry. So um, zeal for the wrong thing is a waste. We can put all of our efforts into somehow thinking we're going to be the one that God pays attention to or we're really going to impress God with this, and it doesn't. Matthew 7, 22 to 23. I understand that Argel had this verse last week in Sunday school says this, Jesus says, on that day, the day of judgment, the day of finality, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? I went on 15 missions trips. I gave as much as I possibly could at church. I served in children's, middle school, high school, you name it. I did it all. Many will come to him and, that, and, and say, didn't I do this? And then I will declare to them, I never what? I never even knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you know him? Does he know you? And Does he know you not for what you did, but for the faith that you have in him? These things are not bad things. What we talk about with serving and giving and all this, but they're only bad when we think somehow this makes me okay with God. The only thing that makes you okay with God is Jesus. 
period. Everything else is a nothing burger. It's nothing. It's nothing. And lastly, the second takeaway is to exchange your good for his. The goal is to know Jesus, not impress him. Because you're not. I think someone that can speak the earth into existence in six days is pretty hard to impress. I think somebody who controls hurricanes is pretty hard to impress. Exchange your good, what you're depending on to get you into heaven, depending on what you're trying to do to earn favor with God. Give it up for knowing him and having faith in him. I don't know who needs to hear this this week. I, you know, as somebody who grew up in church, this is one of those passages I know and I understand, and maybe I just breeze through it, but I don't know where you are as you walk with Jesus, but I hope, man, I hope, all of us will pause. Because I think sometimes, even in my own life as a pastor, there are times when I start to unknowingly begin to think, well, of course God hears me because I've done this. And it's easy for each of us as Christians to start to depend on our resume than depend on Jesus. And so for many of us, maybe this is a point of self-examination, which is our challenge. What credit do you rely on? What is it that you are thinking is going to impress him? Thinking earns you special privilege. God, you owe me a couple prayer requests because I did this, because I know this, because I got a degree from here. What is it that you're putting your credit on that is not Jesus? Let's pray. If your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, I, I can't preach a passage like this and ignore that there may be some in this room who have thought that they were a Christian. They thought that they had faith in Jesus, but when it all comes down to it, they've been trusting in what they do to save them. If that is you, the good news is it's not the end. <laughs> you have the ability today to stop playing the game of resume enhancement with God and the ability to say, I have nothing and can do nothing. I need Jesus. I want to know him, to live for him, to give my life to him. Whether this is the first time you have prayed it or maybe it is a refresher of your walk with Jesus, I want to challenge you today to call out to him in prayer and say, God, I have been playing the game. And I am laying it all down. Everything I've earned, all the resume, all the money that I've tried to somehow earn your favor, and I just need you. I have faith and trust in you to save me. I challenge you that today is that day. No more playing around. No more playing the game of Christianity and kind of being on the fringe and just having your toe in the water with Jesus. Today is the day you take the full plunge. And I challenge you to call out to Jesus with that, to ask him to forgive you of sin and to turn your life over to him. Father, for the rest of us this morning, some of us that maybe have been lulled into the belief that we're earning extra credit points with you. First, that you would draw it to our attention. Sometimes you draw it to our attention by removing it. And Lord, that you would draw our attention to it so that we may make the changes necessary. Lord, I ask as you would 
work in our hearts as we leave here, as we spend our time with you this week. You would continually refine us to burn away that which is not of you so that only you remain in our life. And Lord, I love you. We love you. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.